his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Monday, July 16th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to IAVA, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, as we do every Monday, about the latest and greatest issues that they are dealing with. Melissa Bryant's going to talk to Jake Hughes about all of those things. And then we'll have a special guest, Scott Davidson from GovCon Ops, GCO. It's a contracting company doing a lot of interesting things with the military, doing a lot of interesting things with companies like the Washington Redskins, for example. We're going to talk to Scott about his military career, how he got into the consulting world, and exactly what the consulting world is. That's a question I think a lot of people have when they hear that word. It can mean a lot of things. We'll find out what it means for GCO coming up later on in today's show. But first... It's time to welcome Jake Hughes to the studio. Good morning, Jake. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Eric. How are you? I hope you're feeling better. I'm feeling a bit better. Friday, I woke up and my stomach was just not feeling well. I took a little extra time to leave the house and then on the drive down, pulled a U-turn basically, was like, "Eh, this isn't going to work out well today. So went home and didn't get out of bed until Saturday morning, but then felt fine on Saturday. So just one of those things, I don't know if it was something I ate or... I really just don't know. It was weird because it doesn't doesn't happen to me very often, but it happened on that day. So thank you very much, of course, for stepping into the host chair and doing a bang up job, of course. Oh, always a, always look up. See, that's why he's good at it. Exactly. This is why I'm good at the job. I said I'm always up for looking like an idiot in front of a microphone. So <laughs> Well, there you go. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I worked on my Lego model set, which Ooh, was a lot of fun. I played right. some video games. I uh I, I started a new kit. See, this is this is how much of a nerd I am. I'm now in two separate pen and paper game campaigns. Oh, like role playing yeah. pen and paper one, games? One is based on Fallout, the other one is a proper Dungeons and Dragons game. I remember those things, and I remember being stationed with a guy in Italy who was doing it uh, with a group of people back in the States. And, and that was the good thing about it. Like video games, well, when you're hooked up to the internet anyway, and, and they're. We didn't have the strongest internet. You had dial-up internet for the most part at that point uh, in Italy. We're talking 15 years ago. Um, he, But he was able to do it, and he would have to wait for the mail. The mail would arrive with papers, and then he'd decide what he was going to do and mail it back off. Uh, something about that old-school sort of gaming that that guy really enjoyed and really got into, and it allowed him to, uh, you know, to game without a great internet connection because you weren't doing a lot of high-speed internet gaming over there. Although... I do remember playing, uh, I think it was my first MMO, my first massive multiplayer online game, Star Wars Galaxies, which was a uh, Star Wars-based game that was kind of like World of Warcraft or anything like that, which was fantastic for a couple of years, and then they killed it, and they changed everything, and it basically dropped off the face of the earth. It was incredibly popular because it was a game that allowed you to 
do whatever you wanted. My guy basically mined for materials to build weapons and then sold those weapons. <laughs> that's all that my guy did. He was an arms dealer, and then they made it impossible to do that when the game changed, so I stopped playing the game, and uh, so did just about everybody yep. else. Con- a textbook example of uh, companies messing with a good thing. Yeah, it does happen. Now, there are companies that create good things, too, and build on good things, Perhaps the biggest of which, Jake, is Amazon. And, of course, Amazon Prime Day kicks off this afternoon at 3 o'clock today. Yep. And you, I know, were doing some pretty interesting work based around (laughs) Amazon Prime Day. I was having uh, way too much fun building that one article. And one of the – there's two articles that you did, though. One of those is on basically the coolest tactical gear that you can find on Amazon, which is something that – you know, when I was over in Afghanistan, there certain things that we didn't get issued, you'd go look on Amazon for them and get them ordered, and they get there pretty quickly. I mean, yep. not as quickly as they do in the States. There was no overnight shipping to RC North, but you were able to get that stuff there. Looking through some of the good tactical gear that you found, you found like the Rebo Gear military bag. It's uh, basically a survivalist bag where you're able to put whatever you want in it. It's got heavy-duty zippers, utility-style cord pulls. You've got a 620-pound survivor cord, paracord, an emergency survival kit, a tactical vest, a K-bar, tactical spork. I think yeah, that's my favorite let's, one. Again, let's be honest. What, are we savages? If no. I, if I, Yeah, if I'm lost in the woods for like weeks at a time, I'm not going to be using my dirty hands to eat. I'm going to be using some silverware like a civilized gentleman. You're going to use whatever you have with you, and that's well, the Well, yeah, key. but that's <laughs> why you, I would have that. If you have your K-Bar tactical spork, and of course, who doesn't love a spork? I mean, it's a spoon and it's a fork, and in this one, it's... Um, is it actually like the the spoon and fork are the same piece, or are they separate yeah. pieces? It's a spork with a knife. So the knife actually plugs into it. It's like yeah. a two-piece thing that you can pull it apart. And as you said, you can eat like a civilized human being after the, uh, the apocalypse where you're out there eating mutated rats and things like that. Yeah, and it's made by K-Bar, which means it's so tough, even Marines can't break it. It's it's interesting that you can get just about anything that you want or need on Amazon these days. And of course, Prime Day is the day that there are just insane deals. They let you know about some of the deals that are coming, other ones you just have to find. So between, you know, 3 p.m. today and 3 p.m. tomorrow or whatever the actual runtime of it is, it's going to be a lot of uh, cool stuff going on there. And you're going to be able to get things like a touchscreen tactical glove. That can be important, too, because like you and I both ride motorcycles. When I ride my bike in, I've got my phone holder on there so that I can use the GPS and and get to wherever I'm going the most uh, fast way and have real-time updates on traffic. But certain gloves, you can't operate that screen. And that's become a bigger thing for the military, too, as we use more and more technology, as there's like yep. an iPad to control your tank or whatever the deal is. So <laughs> those uh, those gloves that allow you to actually reach through and touch the screen while having the glove on, those are huge. So that's a cool story that you can find on there. It's the coolest tactical gear on Amazon. But there's a better story <laughs> that Jake put up there. This is more up our alley where you went around and found... Well, I don't know how it happened. How did you come up with the idea for the story, the 15 things you can find on Amazon to make you say WTF over? Well, it's because I know at some point, I can't tell the full story because it's a bit (laughs) not suitable for work. Okay, But but someone had told me or showed me a particular author on Amazon that, that wrote the most 
ridiculous out there stories that are not suitable for work. Right. So that made me think, well, what other weird crap can I find on Amazon.com? And as I said, I had way too much fun building this article just because the comments on these articles, on these items are amazing. There's something to Amazon comments where I think someone actually tried to make a book out of Amazon comments based on the Three Wolf Moon t-shirt if you've never heard of it google three wolf moon tv or t-shirt on amazon and you will see one review that kicked off millions coming after it that was just the most amazing review of this ridiculous t-shirt it's a t-shirt with three wolves howling at the moon and the person who wrote this lengthy review of it and about how amazing it was kicked off really a culture of people writing these insane reviews but sometimes the products are just as insane as the reviews. For example, if you've got a tattoo that maybe isn't the best, I've got some parts of my tattoos that are like, that didn't last very well and didn't look great. You can get your own DIY laser tattoo removal system. I don't know how safe that is to operate, Jake, but it's available on Amazon, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And hey, it, it says right on the box, it'll remove tattoos so you know you can trust it. Well, there you go. I mean, so will that uh, K-Bar spork if you really wanted to. Just pull that <laughs> knife out, start carving away like uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius and Gladiator when he was getting rid of the, uh, the Roman Legion tattoo. The 2016 calendar of goats in trees. It's a wholesome thing. Who doesn't love goats and trees, really? Not only that, but who doesn't love a two-year-old calendar featuring goats and trees? Exactly. <laughs> for if you want to relive an election year for some strange reason. Well, yes. Some people might want to. Others really won't. A life-size statue of Bigfoot? Who doesn't want that in their house? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine a house not looking better without a life-size statue of Bigfoot. Here's the question for a life-size statue of Bigfoot, Jake. Uh, No one's ever seen a Bigfoot because, and I hate to break this to you, is not real. There are TV shows where they go specifically looking for Bigfoot for years and don't find anything looking in the places that it would be if it existed. So if no one's ever seen Bigfoot, and if Bigfoot's not real... How can it be a life-size statue of Bigfoot? That's just an estimate. Yeah, you'd have to ask a cryptobiologist. Uh, or a cryptozoologist. Yeah, you got those uh-huh. too. Uh, six feet tall, 147 pounds. Boy, that's a, a trim Bigfoot. I always yeah. thought of Bigfoot as being a hulking beast. Of course, I've seen the movie Harry and the Hendersons. That's kind of what I always picture Bigfoot <laughs> that's all I know about to look it, like. And hopefully that he would be uh, nice like Harry was in Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, good old, good old movie with John Lithgow. Oh, boy. I don't even know where this would come from. I I suppose in certain lines of work, you'd want to train to be good at everything that you do. You know, if you do Mm -hmm. a job, you want to be able to train and and do it right. So you want to train for reality. And if you happen to be someone who uh, does circumcisions, well, there you go. An infant circumcision training dummy. Let's leave that one alone and move along. Barack Obama toilet paper. Yeah, I think you can find that for every politician. Yeah, There's probably. people out there who don't like everybody, so there you go. Uh, the senior woman with asthma peel and stick wall decal. I don't even know what that means. It's, what is that? It is a, it is a true-to-life size bust of an old woman using an inhaler. And it's something that you can stick on your you wall. You stick on your wall. If you, if, if you feel your feng shui is off for some strange reason, or you just need to remind grandma that's, to use her inhaler. That's, that's that's what your house is missing. It's the life-size Bigfoot statue and the life-size wall decal of an elderly woman using an inhaler. 
anyone who buys that should be put on a list unless <laughs> they are someone who works in the asthma world or the inhaler industry. This you, is why I do what I do. You should be on a list there. Uh, silicone wedding band. Uh, there you go. Dinosaur on human erotica. Oh, yes. Why, why is that strange? Who doesn't have a couple of uh, tomes? I know, of right? I know, right? I don't know why I put that on there. Erotica. This one I've actually seen in person, and I've seen pictures where you'll see it in the background and you'll be like, wait, wait a second. That pillow on your couch there, does that have Nicolas Cage on it? Yes, indeed it does. You can get a Nicolas Cage throw pillow. Not only that, you can get that one, and it's specifically made because who doesn't love Nicolas Cage? But you can get a picture of anything put onto anything these days. So you I know a, you've probably got an, either an Eric Estrada or David Hasselhoff pillow. Oh, yeah, I've got both. Of Ponch, course. Ponch and Michael Knight together. I mean, that's a TV show right there. How that didn't happen in the 80s, I don't know, and it should happen now. Uranium ore? That that seems like it would yeah, be Yeah, let's illegal. hope Kim Jong-un doesn't have Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> the Nasco fetal pig? Ugh. And, of course, I've seen this one before. It makes a lot of lists, and I think there are probably, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, industrial uses for this, and I suppose there could be personal uses as well, 55-gallon drum of lubrication because, hey, you never know. Exactly. You never know. Got all those things. So Amazon Prime Day is coming up today, and there's going to be a lot of great deals on it. Of course, everybody will be looking at it. And the fun thing about Amazon Prime, and it's fun occasionally, I guess, sometimes those deals are there all day. Sometimes they're up for 20 minutes until everything is gone. So you got to keep an eye on it, and you've got to choose wisely. You've also got to choose wisely when it comes to picking the right school. We've got a great article on that right on ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, Entercom's ConnectingVets.com is Connecting Vets every day. The five keys to picking the right school. Number one, I think this goes for whatever school it is. This is more just picking, just doing school right, not just picking the right school, but understanding how the GI Bill works. Post-9-11 GI Bill covers some or all of your tuition and fees. You get a book stipend, a monthly housing allowance, and it's pretty straightforward in some ways, but there are things that you need to consider, which the biggest one is how much of your tuition is the GI Bill going to cover? I went to two schools, got two degrees, an associate's and a bachelor's. For my associates at Norwalk Community College in Connecticut, my entire tuition was covered by the GI Bill, probably and then some. Uh, so that was great. When I transferred, it would not have covered anywhere near the full tuition. It would have, I think it covered somewhere around like 55% of the annual tuition at Hofstra University. So because I knew that, I knew that I had to apply for scholarships. I had to do all sorts of things. Uh, They made it pretty easy on me when I showed up because I'd done very well at the community college, got an academic scholarship. They worked with, uh, with veterans at my school to, uh, to help them as well. So I ended up getting the entire tuition covered through a combination of the GI bill scholarships, all sorts of other things that you need to look for. But if you don't know what you need, you're going to find out when you get a bill in the mail and that's not good. And it's not one of those things like, well, I just won't pay the bill and see what happens. They're not going to give you that diploma. No, (laughs) you, you could do all four years and graduate, you know, Dean's list and magna cum laude and everything. 
if you don't pay for it, they're not going to give you that piece of paper and you're not going to be able to claim that you're a graduate of, you know, whether it's Hofstra University, Harvard University, the Barbizon School of Haircuttery. It doesn't matter. You got to pay for everything. So there's also haircuttery. Is that an official term? Yes. Yes. It's, I believe, the official uh, name of the school. I I don't know. I just made it up. So I'm (laughs) sure it exists someplace. You've also got to consider there that, um, whether you go to class on campus or online also makes a difference. I believe, and you want to look this up, you want to check it, you have to take at least one in-class course to get the full GI Bill benefits. If you're doing all online courses, you do not get the full tuition that you do if you're going to school on campus. Why is that? I don't know. I guess they're figuring it costs less to go to school online, which uh, can be true, but in other times isn't true. So you got to look into that and you got to find out exactly uh, what's going on there. We've talked to people before who, uh, you know, wanted to get out of school as quickly as possible. So did a combination of online classes and in in person classes. The online classes you're often able to to shoot through a little bit faster, do them at your own pace in many cases. I don't have much experience with the online classes, except I did have a hybrid biology class at the community college, which meant that I believe it was a a two-day-a-week class. One day was actually in the classroom, and then the other day you had to do online stuff, but you had to do it in a specific time period. Like the the professor actually put these things up. You had until you had a deadline to get all the the classwork online done. So it's not as straightforward as you might think. Yeah, the GI Bill is fairly... Fairly straightforward, but there's a lot of little twists and turns in there that can make it different. So you definitely want to check that out. And then, of course, number two on the list, what type of school is best for me? Community colleges, four-year universities, public, private, profit, nonprofit. You've got a lot of things to search through there. Trade schools, some of which are covered by the GI Bill, some of which aren't. So again, it all goes back to number one. But if you want to be a motorcycle mechanic, for example. They make good money. Anyone who's ever dropped off their bike to be worked on and picked it up and had the uh, sticker shock of the bill, Mm -hmm. they know that they're making good money. You don't need to go, typically, to a four-year university for that. Oftentimes, you can get the certifications you need, the entry-level certifications, in less than a year. Would you still want to go to a four-year university? Maybe. I don't know. I you know, there, I, I probably could have worked in this industry without the degree just because of the experience that I had, but I wanted the degree, and I wanted to kind of take it easy for a little while, to be honest. I mean, college life, uh, as someone who was a horrible high school student, just did not enjoy it, did not care about it. Uh, I had some worries about what college was going to be for me. It ended up being pretty easy, came pretty easy to me. It did very well, but that's why I first chose a community college, and I didn't go to you know a four-year university straight off the bat because I didn't know if it was for me, and if it wasn't for me, I didn't want to be behind the eight ball when it came time to pay the bills because it was a $30,000 a year school and I was only getting $20,000 of tuition. Starting off at a community college was the right choice for me. For others, it's going to be going directly to that four-year university. I mean, if you get ex- if you get accepted to Princeton or Yale or something like that, hey, go for it. But for me, I had to do the community college thing first to get a taste of what college was going to be like. And I'll tell you the other thing, for me anyway, and uh, I suppose it depends on which schools you go to, the difficulty level I thought was going to be uh, significant between a, a community college and a four-year uh, university, not really. 
No, it was very similar. A lot of the classwork was similar. Uh, the difficulty I found was similar in both places. So uh, it, it's not like you're going to a community college just because you're you're you know you think you're not as good of a student. But for financial reasons, for me, it made sense to start off there. And of course, there are people who will want to look for. Uh, Schools that have the right program for them, of course. If you want to work in radio and broadcasting, you want to go to a school that has a great radio and broadcasting program, maybe a great school radio station. There's a lot of things to look into, and the type of school that's best for you, the actual in uh, specific school that's best for you, that's a huge key along with understanding the GI Bill. Here's another one, and a lot of people have a lot of assumptions about this and then find out that their assumptions are or are not correct as we look up at the TV and see President Trump sitting there with uh, Vladimir Putin. The military experience credits vary wildly from school to school. Yep. Let me tell you, when I was uh, looking at starting off and went to that community college, I did actually check at the University of Connecticut, the branch in the city that I'm from in Stanford, UConn Stanford, and they were going to give me nothing basically, for my military experience. I was just starting from scratch with them. So I was leaning towards the community college route anyway. When the community college told me, like, oh, yeah, you'll only have to take these six classes or whatever to finish your associate's degree in journalism, it made perfect sense for me. And it was great that it also um, took out some things that you just you don't, you don't want to do. There was a gym class requirement, essentially, what? like a physical activity. Yeah, a lot of schools have it, some sort of physical uh, activity requirement, which, trust me, after walking around on that campus, some of those kids, whew, 18, 19 years old and already in horrible shape. I didn't get into horrible shape until I was in my 30s. So exactly. We have excuses. We're old men. That's when you want it to happen. But uh, I didn't have to do it because I got uh, my military experience had some physical training stuff on there. Uh, it had... Uh, some other things because of my job that related to the degree where I didn't have to take, you know, like an entry level journalism course. Dude, I was a journalist for 13 years in the military. I know the basics. I want the uh, you know, the detailed stuff. So I actually ended up, I think, during my time at community college, taking two journalism classes out of all of them. <laughs> One was uh, like electronic journalism, like social media age journalism, which was pretty cool. And uh, another one was... Um, I can't remember what the other one was, but I know there was a second one. So that school was great with it. The University of Connecticut was not great with it. So it made the decision a little bit easier for me when choosing out the school. What about Hofstra? Hofstra was fantastic, too. Yeah, they they gave me um, as many credits as they could, essentially. Like I had – there's a minimum of courses that you need to take at at most schools to qualify for the degree. I – Hofstra would have given me more credit, but they got right up to the limit of the maximum amount of credit that they could give me. And again, there are schools that are fantastic like that and others that are not so great like that. And they have their reasons for it. But it was certainly beneficial to me to have found schools that did take that military experience into account. The issue, of course, then becomes when you get to the limit of the maximum amount of credits that they can give you and the courses that they can assign it to, because it has to translate to something. It's not like, you know, I got a, a credit from the military in makeup, because yes, when you work on TV and AFN and stuff like that, you get some makeup training and things like that. So you did? You, I didn't? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, back in the day, they would. Uh, you'd have to learn how to put on a foundation a base makeup foundation and all that stuff. Yeah, we did training the real way back in the day. They couldn't put that towards like um, English. You know what I mean? So it right. has to translate to something. Yellow Ribbon School. That's number four on the list. Yellow Ribbon is a supplemental program to the post 9-11 GI Bill. 
covers the cost of tuition and fees above the in-state rate or above the national cap for private schools. The yellow ribbon can certainly help you meet those tuition issues that we talked about in number one with the GI Bill. And then what is the school doing to support student veterans? There are schools out there that are doing a fantastic job. Again, Hofstra did a great job of taking care of me, taking care of my fellow veterans. I didn't know anybody who had any issues with uh, the support that they were getting. I knew one guy who was, uh, he always seemed to be angry about something. And, you know, the professors were out to get him because he was in the military. But whether that was true or not, I certainly never witnessed any of it. There are schools, though, where there's not a lot of support for veterans because maybe there's not a lot of veterans that go there. So they're not used to them. I don't think there's anybody out there specifically looking to, uh, you know, jack veterans up and screw them over. But it does happen occasionally because we tend to be going into school at an advanced age. Even if you just did four years in the military, that puts you somewhere around 22 years old at a minimum when you're getting out. So you're a little bit older than everybody there. It's different for me. I, uh, by the time I graduated from the community college had a child and that made a difference with my ability to get to school. Some schools are very, uh, understanding of that. Other ones, they don't care. You need to get there. You need to get it done. You're a student and that's all fact is student veterans often got a lot more going on than the average student so those are the five things to look for what's the school doing to support student veterans is the school a yellow ribbon school does the school award credit for military experience and if so how much what type of school is best for you and understanding how the gi bill works that's what you want to know and you can find out more detail about all of those at the five keys to pick the right school story on the connectingvets.com homepage and of course follow us we are at connecting vets on facebook twitter instagram and youtube give us a little click of your mouse or tap on your phone and you'll be getting your best veteran info speaking of good veteran info iava's melissa bryant talked to jq's about what's going on in that organization and what they're focused on and it's coming up right after this morning briefing stick here we're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Morning Briefing for Monday, July 16th, 2018. Super producer Jake Hughes here sitting in the driver's seat. And I want to remind you one more time, check out that website, ConnectingVets.com. You're a one-stop shop for all things veteran and military related. And make sure you follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, all the big four. Follow us, you'll get the latest and greatest happenings of all things going on in the military and veteran community. And we're keeping an eye on those things because we are the veteran community. Every person in this office knows what it's like to put on that uniform and knows what it's like to take it off for the last time. Well, except for Kayla Jackson. She's still in the National Guard, but we won't hold that against her. Every, not everyone's perfect. Anyway, it's Monday, which means it's time to talk with Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America. And I am joined by our usual guest, Melissa Bryant. Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Now, I under, there's a bunch of stuff we have to talk to, but uh, I want to start off by saying you took a trip recently to Colorado uh, and you went to this what's called the Aspen Ideas Festival. Exactly what was that? Yeah, um, the Aspen Ideas Festival, it's an annual uh, festival where they gather luminaries such as journalists and um, 
generals and um, you know titans of industry, and they bring them together, and they talk about all issues ranging from music and arts to politics to the current state of affairs. And uh, it was really a bit of a surreal experience. I was there as a scholar of one of 300 scholars who were uh, there to really become immersed in this experience. Um, I'll admit it's a slightly weird experience because you're there with billionaires who were, <laughs> who were there uh, to, you know, pretty much all soak in the brain candy. It's like, oh, you could buy my life three times. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's a beautiful setting in Aspen. It, it's a, you know, mountain retreat, but it's there to kind of advance conversation and discussion. And, you know, there was one panel that I attended in particular that really struck me, and it was on Iraq and Afghanistan 15 years on. And it was moderated by uh, former Congresswoman and, you know, again, luminary Jane Harmon. It had General Petraeus, General Doug Lute, um, Dan Sr. Um, it had Ambassador Crocker, um, you know, there. And so pretty much all the folks who were architects of the Iraq war and the invasion into Iraq and, and who were there in the beginning. Um, and then also post 9-11 for going into Afghanistan the sad opening comment by uh, Jane Harmon, who at the time she admitted that she voted for the Iraq war. And then she said, you know, she regretted the decision. But her comment was really, you know, the 200 people in this auditorium are probably the last 200 people who care. And to say that in a forum like Aspen with all these luminaries and millionaires and billionaires who could buy my life several times over, it was really sobering because the people on the stage care, me and probably the one other veteran who was in the audience cared. And she was probably right. The rest of the public just doesn't register in, in, in what's happening in Iraq and Afghanistan, especially since just today, the military announced, DOD announced that there was another uh, KIA, uh, Sergeant First Class um, Salise, who was with uh, 75th Ranger Reg. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a really sobering fact that we had a you know KIA this week in Afghanistan. Uh, last week, uh, there was also another KIA. And the American public, it's, it's a blip. It's barely yeah. a blip for that. I, th- I think it's because we lived through such a long period where the uh, KIA was sad to say this, and I, I hope I don't offend anyone, but it was a common occurrence. Right. Like they would happen every other day or something like that. And so people are still probably in that mindset of, oh, it's a death, it's war, it happens. And that's not the case anymore. And I want to ask you, why do you think it is that people have almost forgotten this war that we're actually kind of still fighting. It's because we've been literally an entire statistical generation at war. Uh, statistical generation spans 20 years. We've almost been there for 20 years at this point. And so there are our children um, of us who are Iraq and Afghanistan vets who you know have grown up with this idea of ongoing war, and it's just the state of affairs. It's just status quo. And so I think that you're absolutely right in that our our American public has sadly become desensitized to not just honoring those, uh, honoring the fallen the way that we do within the military community, but just in general of we're still there and there's still combat operations that are happening there. And that's, it was truly sobering as we're talking about that and we're talking about the invasion. And for me, it felt like just a lifetime ago from when I was in Iraq. Yeah, um, I agree with you. And like I said, Iraq, for me, it does feel like another life, especially now that I'm out of the military. Right. It feels like almost like it happened to someone else. Right. And my, the last time I was in Iraq was in two, was January of 2009. So that's what, almost 10 years ago. Right. And that's, I just now thinking about it, that kind of blew my mind. It's like, wow, it was almost 10 years ago. 
So what was your big takeaway from this meeting? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, other than the the fact that the general public is starting to become less and less interested or less and less concerned about this war, what was your big takeaway from that event? My big takeaway was that there's still no solutions. There's still no end in sight. You know, as, as they were deconstructing what many of us know were the foibles that led into uh, particularly for Iraq, at least, and the Iraqi invasion. And, you know, they talked about everything from the uh, CPA to uh, debathification. And, you know, some of the things that we now look back with hindsight is as probable missteps in our our, our uh, Iraq uh, strategies. And, you know, where COIN didn't, uh, the counterinsurgency strategy didn't work. Um, we talked about both surges within both Iraq and Afghanistan. And so when you're deconstructing it over time, that's great from a historical perspective, but what's the desired end state? And we still don't have one. And that was my major takeaway is that there is still no end in sight. It feels like, you know, hashtag for Godistan. When I hear and we talk on panels about Iraq and Afghanistan, especially when you read news like a KIA. Yeah, especially it's like it's almost like people were discussing it in the past tense mm-hmm. because they don't think they, they think that now that it's not on the news all the time, that it doesn't exist anymore. And that's that that I think speaks to it, the general feeling of the american public i'm not gonna i'm not gonna speak too much on that but it it really is just this feeling of exhaustion yeah you know it's exhaustion it it kind of felt like again i I keep calling it a deconstruction it it felt like we were almost writing the the textbook for this that a kid is going to read in their seventh grade social studies class or in their american history class when they get to high school and maybe there are kids who were reading on this now i hope they are but that's how long this has been going on, that it felt like we were writing the textbook for this, as if it were me sitting in my history class in high school reading about World War II. And that was the really sad part for me. Very, very sad, very sobering. You know, I, I think of you know how it's impacted my life, my friends, my family, um, those who didn't make it back with us. Um, you know, it, it just it felt weird to have that disconnect, to have that distance from it and to speak from a historical perspective of what uh, the genesis of Iraq and Afghanistan and, and those conflicts, and then we're still there today. Yeah, I think, I think that, I mean, and I know because we still have World War II and Vietnam veterans with us, but when our generation is speaking about Vietnam, Korea, World War II, we speak about it in this sort of almost cold distance away from it, as in it's just saying that, you know, this is a, a clinical thing that happened. Right. And and it's different. And I imagine it was the same thing if we were to discuss Vietnam with some Vietnam veterans. They'd be like, okay, you're talking about it in these cold clinical terms, but I was there. Yes. Like, this was my reality for a year or two years or however long. Right. I mean, everyone who's ever heard me speak knows I talk about my dad frequently. My father is in Vietnam. And so we have these conversations uh, all the time about his service there and then his you know, 27 years beyond that when he's uh, as an uh, infantry officer. And yes, in fact, we were watching the Ken Burns documentary on the Vietnam War and we were recalling each other each night to reflect on each episode as it went through. And for him, it was the same surreal experience that I had at the panel at Aspen. He characterized the Ken Burns documentary as, you know, it's weird for me to watch this footage. It's, it feels strange. It's almost triggering because I haven't given thought to some things, uh, some aspects in 50 years. He was there in 1968 and 69. And so, um, you know, it was almost clinical in, in watching it. But because it's also 
something that you experience, it can trigger that raw emotion. And so when I was sitting in Aspen and we're talking about the Iraq war and thinking of my time and my deployments there, and I'm just like, yeah, it's, it, it, it's one thing to deconstruct the history of it and, and the politics, the diplomacy, um, and the military strategy that went into it. But then it's also still very real and still very raw. Right, because, I mean, not to dwell on this topic too long, but I, I think it's because you hear about the, the big overarching structure of what the strategies were, but to, to me it always comes down to, you know, remembering, you know, standing, you know, smoking a cigarette outside my chew and hearing the incoming alarm, and it's right. like, you know, that was the reality. Those are the memories, and those are the kind of things that get glossed over when you start looking at it with the, the hindsight goggles of, we should have done this, 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 and this. Well, I mean, when I was there on the ground, we didn't really have time to think about that kind of stuff. Right. You you had to think about the here and now. You had to think about protecting your troops, and you had to think about what you know. What's the mission at hand for today? Like win the day, survive the day. That's what your mindset was there, and that's what you know we promoted at IAVA in ensuring that we don't lose that connectivity and that camaraderie with our community. Um, that's what we're there to provide for the, for our generation um, of vets who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan and those who even didn't serve in Iraq and Afghanistan, maybe served elsewhere in the military, but we at least can't lose those stories. And so it can be deconstructed clinically by, uh, you know, all the thinking, you know, folks and, and, and all the luminaries, the thought leaders in the world, but we still have to maintain those stories, that oral history. And we also, um, I, I love that our generation has embraced the written history of it as well. And we're continuing to tell our story. Yeah, it's important to, you know, when, when you talk about war, you always talk about the American forces, you know, or the Nazis or, you know, the, the allied forces or whatnot. It, it, people forget that those that was made up of hundreds of thousands, not millions of individual soldiers. And each one of them has their own experiences. And it's important. Now, I wish we could go on to better news, <laughs> but there's something that happened very recently. I read about it this morning on the morning or Friday morning on the morning briefing that's uh, there are being changes to the GI Bill transferability for service members that have been in for a long time. What can you tell me about this? Yeah, uh, DOD announced on uh, uh, last week that starting next year, service members who have been in the military for more than 16 years will no longer be able to transfer their GI Bill benefits to their dependents. So that's a change to the current Pentagon policy um, that uh, allowed for you to transfer at any point in time. This is troubling for uh, IAVA and for other VSOs who fought for the expansion with the G, uh, the Forever GI Bill last year. Um, that was a huge win for our community. It, it eliminated the 15-year uh, cap for using your GI Bill. But this is still a cap that's now stymieing that program. And DOD's position, um, you know, under, understand their position in that the GI Bill is a retention tool. And they figure if you cannot serve the four years beyond in order to uh, use the or rather the four year ad so, if you will, active duty service obligation that you will receive once you've transferred the GI Bill, then there's no use for that retention tool. So I understand the math, if you will, um, in which they're they're looking to really uh, have some cost savings there. But it's really unfair to troops. Um, it's unfair for those who are currently serving. Um, it is a cap, and it's one of the things that IAVA has always fought for. You know, since we've even fought for the uh, expansion of the, of the Montgomery GI Bill and it became the post-9-11 GI Bill, we have always known that 
when you expand, you have to defend it. And that's why we've always had a campaign to defend the GI Bill from any cuts or caps or uh, any sort of curtailment on that earned benefit because you earned that benefit through your service. And if you want to transfer it to your dependents, to your children, to your spouse, then that's something that you should be able to do. The slightly good news as a matter of public awareness is that this will not happen until next year. And so we want to ensure that service members are informed and they know um, that uh, that will that this policy will change that uh, that benefit, and they have a year to think about what they're going to do and make an informed decision for transferability. Yeah, and it's it's really it's in to my mind. This is me speaking, JQs. It's messed up because it was the, we fought so hard for the forever GI Bill, not the forever asterisk GI Bill. Right. And I mean, I understand the part of it has a retention tool and all these other things. I I get that, but. People, especially these days, you look at the statistics and numbers, people are having kids later and later in life. So if you've been in for 16 years and you decide that you want to have a child and later on in life that child wants to go to college, why shouldn't you be able to give them that GI Bill money that you earned? It just... Makes no sense to me. I'm kind of over here with smoke coming out of my ears because it yeah. doesn't. Un- I just don't understand. It's, it's totally unfair. If I were still on active duty right now, this would impact me. Like this would because I would be in my. Ugh, I hate to date myself, <laughs> but I would be uh, rounding my uh, 17th, 18th year of service right now. So ooh, I don't like saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but this would be impacting me, and so I would be one of the ones who would have to make that decision of do I want to transfer this to my dependents or not? And so it's it's just unfair. You know, we, we fought for its expansion. It's an earned benefit. It's a small token. Like, I, I understand that it costs, you know, in the broad scheme of things, millions of dollars to the government. Got it. But it is a small payback for the sacrifice that our service members make. We raise our hands. We say, send me. We just talked about the ultimate sacrifice that, um, that a soldier made just this week, um, Sergeant First Class Salise, who, who was killed in action in Afghanistan just this week. And that's a small bit of, of gratitude that the government can give back to service members for saying, you know what, I volunteered and we should be giving every bit of support that we can and we should be supporting the families as best as we can. And so that's where um, it's really troubling to see DOD make this decision. Yeah, and I understand. I understand exactly where you're coming from because, like I said, it's just it's just messed up. I don't understand it, but I mean, never mind. I'm not going to speak on that. I, I was going to say something, but I realize it's better to not say that. So, and we're going to move on. Okay. Well, all <laughs> I will say is, you know what? Just rest assured that Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America, like I said, we, you know, if you go to our website, IAVA.org, you will see uh, within our big six policy priorities, one of them is to defend the GI Bill. And it has been one of our policy priorities ever since the creation of the post 11 GI Bill. We have always fought for that earned benefit and rest assured that we are going to always continue to fight for that benefit. And we want you to know that we've got your back there. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Very resolute. I enjoy it. <laughs> Okay, so the other another big piece of news going on. This is not so much urgent because we don't have a date now, but is the confirmation hearings for prospective secretary Robert Wilkie. Now, I can only assume you've been watching these hearings and you've been watching the things go back and forth. So far, what is your opinion of Robert Wilkie? And maybe not the. 
IABA as a whole, maybe just you or mm-hmm. whichever opinion you can give. Mm-hmm. Which, what do you think of Robert Wilkie so far? Um, well, I've, I've spoken to this with, uh, you know, with Eric on the, on the program in the past. And um, Robert Wilkie, you know, I think I described him as a 400-pound brain. You know, he really is an, an intellectual person. Um, you know, there was a little bit of controversy in his history um, that came up during his hearing um, that was, I, I think he did a decent job of at least explaining what his commitment is now. There's not a whole lot you can say about his his past. What we can do is to show that, or he needs to demonstrate rather, that he is going to be there for veterans. I will say it's encouraging from IAVA's standpoint that um, just recently he responded to questions for the record uh, that came following the hearing. And he responded to Congress and responded to the Senate VA committee in saying that he would support transgender veterans, which is something that IAVA has supported. And that is anyone who is willing and able to serve should be able to serve. Right. And so we, we came out in opposition to the trans ban um, for DOD policy. And it's encouraging to see that uh, Robert Wilkie has stated uh, for the record that he will support transgender veterans and and their benefits and their health care um, once they transition out of service. Um, another thing that he has also uh, stated that he's going to continue as his number one priority, if confirmed as VA secretary, is for combating suicide. Um, we're still at 20 a day, and, and even with the new statistics, and I think our Steph numbers are her jam. Mullen, research director, <laughs> talks about this at length. Um, about our suicide, uh, the suicide data that was recently released from 2015 and 2016, uh, we, we can't take our foot off the pedal on this. I am encouraged personally to hear that Wilkie will at least continue to make combating suicide and mental health his number one priority if confirmed as VA secretary. Now, that said, he advanced through the um, the Senate VA committee. He's going to go to a full vote. And again, like you said, date to be determined. Um, it is important to note, there's one little footnote in this, and that Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, voted against him. Um, and he'll probably, he said he'll do it again uh, when they go to full Senate vote. Um, it doesn't mean he won't be confirmed. In all likelihood, he'll probably still be confirmed. But um, it'll be the first time that there'll be a vote of no confidence, if you will, for a VA secretary um, ever since this is created as a cabinet position. And Senator Sanders said it's not about the man because, like I said, everyone, I think, respects him as a man, his service, his family service. He's a great storyteller for anyone who's ever sat in a meeting with him and that he shows the connectivity between the military and, and, and his um, connection to the military through both his father and himself and what he does in DOD currently and what he would do for VA. Um, but Senator Sanders stated that he was concerned about privatization. And that he wouldn't back any administration's nominee because he's concerned about privatization in the VA, which is also, you know, kind of like the four letter word right now um, for, for those who are watching what's happening with uh, VA reorganization and and uh, and moving forward with the Mission Act. Right. I could I could speak on Grandpa Bernie, but I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm going to leave that one. <laughs> we alone. remain bipartisan yes. and nonpartisan, <laughs> yes. I should say, at IAVA. So I'm not going to speak to the political characterization, but I do want pe- you know listeners to know that was the reason why. Yeah. And so when you ask about Robert Wilkie as a man, and you're asking Melissa Bryant, um, you know, for her opinion, not as you know, Chief Policy Officer at IAVA, but for me, we appreciate that at least he is so far stating commitment. 
Now, what we want to see are those words turn into action. Right. He needs to demonstrate that commitment to all veterans if confirmed as VA secretary. That was going to be my next question is, um, uh, is say he goes through and he gets all the, well, okay, we'll say 99 to 1 because old Barney. But, uh, and again, we, 98, we were, because yeah. John McCain probably won't be back for the vote either. That's so. true. Well, okay. Now you're just, that's semantics. <laughs> math. <laughs> no, it, yeah. Math hard. Me no good brain. <laughs> anyway, so say he makes it through and he's the new VA secretary and he wants to meet with the VSOs and he asks IAVA to send their representative to him. What are the issues that the IAVA is going to bring to the new VA secretary? Well, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting with uh, Mr. Wilkie when he was acting secretary at the VA. Um, I met with him before when he was in his, well, now current capacity, soon to be former capacity as the undersecretary for personnel readiness. I have said the same thing to Mr. Wilkie since the beginning of 2018. We are pushing our big six policy priorities. Number one being suicide prevention and mental health expansion. Combating suicide is our number one priority. Second to that, again, defending the GI Bill. We want to ensure that women veterans are supported. And that's our She Who Born the, Cam- uh, she Who Born the Battle campaign, um, where we want to see women veterans like myself who are supported and that there's closures and gaps in care for, uh, for women veterans. And that our service is frankly recognized because as I say all the time, people still look at me and they don't see veteran. They don't see really anything of my service and they're still a bit gobsmacked when I tell them that I served and then I served downrange. So uh, we want to ensure that that campaign continues. We want to ensure that reform for the VA and for DOD uh, is with effective and smart policy, just like we talked today about the DOD policy for GI Bill transferability. We talked about the Mission Act. Um, so that's all falls under that rubric of uh, defending um, uh, the DOD and VA uh, policy and ensuring that reform for government um, is sound. And then lastly, our two new issues that we added to our policy priorities that round out our big six are cannabis for vets, we want to ensure that VA uh, is doing research and is at least empowering those vets who want to utilize cannabis. We know that through um, that there's correlations in studies where it can uh, help with those for mental health injuries like PTSD, possibly TBI. We need the research to be able to tell us what else is going on there. And so that's why we're pushing for the VA Medicinal Cannabis Act to be passed into law. And then lastly, burn pits and toxic exposures. I know that me, Tom Porter, our legislative director, um, you know, we, we talk about this nonstop. This is also a huge campaign push for us now and ensuring that those of us who are downrange, who are exposed to burn pits and all the other general funkiness that was in the air, <laughs> the foulness, the stench, um, the metals, the dust particulates, all those other toxic exposures. Now we come home and you find out you have asthma at 35 when you never had it. Uh, or, you know, God forbid you find out that you're, you're going to find the rare cancers that you found in um, those who served, for example, at Ground Zero 9-11, or for Vietnam vets who are exposed to Agent Orange who are finding that they have prostate cancer and, and, and bladder cancers in higher numbers. So that's what we want to ensure that we, you know, support those from injuries from burn pits and toxic exposures. Okay, so if people want to learn more about what IAVA is doing for American veterans, where do they go? You go to IAVA.org. All righty. Melissa Bryant from the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me have, uh, come on to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks me for being here. Oh, sorry. Can, I can work I here. I don't that? have a choice. Can, can we edit that? Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're listening to The Morning Briefing. We shall return right after this.
helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And ConnectingVets.com, well, that's your website, my friend. Entercoms, ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day through a variety of platforms. Audio, if you're listening to this, you already probably figured that out. Video, yep, we're doing great video every day. And of course, amazing articles on information that you should know about. Information we think you'd want to know about and information we think you'd need to know about. And the reason we think those things is because each and every member of our team not only knows what it's like to wear that uniform, they also know what it's like to take it off and move out into that big, scary civilian world. We're trying to make that transition easier for people, let you know of the benefits and organizations out there that are trying to help you find the right path for you after you leave the military. Whether you do a three-year tour, you retire after three decades, ConnectingVets.com has something for you. You can also find us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. That, of course, is the best way to be kept abreast of the latest and greatest coming out from our team of veterans to help the veteran community. Our next guest is one of those aforementioned veterans. He's also someone who seems to have found his path after he left the military. He is the CEO of GCO. Little alphabet soup there for you, Mr. Scott Davidson. Scott, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us on The Morning Briefing. Thank you for having me. I, of course, just mentioned that you're a CEO, but before that, you were serving in the military. So tell us just a little bit about your service, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did. Well, it's, a, it's a somewhat of an interesting story. We kind of moved around a little bit. Um, for me, I was enlisted first, actually. I did it reverse. I don't know why. The, the recruiter saw me coming from a mile away. I had my college degree, and I went in as enlisted. Hmm. So I enlisted first. Uh, I did signal. And I'll never forget that, too. He totally had me exactly where he wanted me, and I didn't know any better, of course. And I'll never forget you, Staff Sergeant Toronto. I'll find you one day. But, uh, you know, you definitely convinced me that there was no such thing as OCS and that I had definitely enlisted was the way to go. So, And it was. We had a great time. So I did. Um, I actually got my E5. Made it, I was uh, it became an NCO, so I was excited there in the Army. And then, um, actually, it was about a week after I got my E5, I got picked up for OCS. And then I went over, and I got to enjoy the transition to be a butter bar. Um, and then wind up being an air defense artillery. Um, and interesting enough, so air defense artillery did uh, two tours in Iraq, did some time in Afghanistan, never ever did my job, um, <laughs> and, you know, because there was nothing to do there. So I was always, um, so the first tour with the 1st Marine Division, uh, we were attached to them, giving them air cover and maneuvering with them up during the invasion. Second tour, of course, uh, in Iraq, um, I was in uh, basically counter ID work. Um, and ran the roads uh, and did convoy security working group uh, stuff, which was an interesting time in itself. Um, and then I was, um, I actually wound up getting myself uh, hurt. And then I was medically retired uh, from the army on uh, never. You don't forget the two days you go in, right? The day you go in, the day you go out. And they were kind of close. I went in June 20th of 99 and I was, my ex date was uh, July 20th, uh, 2007. Uh, was my retirement date. So, um, and it was an interesting time for me, uh, you know, as far as how that transition as we walk into that. But that's my background for the Army time was I loved it. Uh, I really, you know, for me, it was what I thought I was going to do for probably forever at the time, in a sense, um, because I, you know, never had, I don't have a bad thing to say about the Army or anything in the military. Uh, And, but it did lead me to a lot of great things Mm -hmm. and actually opened my eyes to a lot of things I never thought I'd be able to 
just be a part of for that matter. My dates, August 25th, 1998 to August 26th, 2011, although I was on leave for two months before that end, that exit date. We were so. close then, right? That going was, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we the We're same from the same mind. era, and yeah. we had those close dates in there. Um, you know, it, it's interesting also to hear you talk about never doing your job while you were in the Army, while you were over there. That makes me think of uh, Brigadier General Rose, who went over to Vietnam and had been trained to work on these radar systems. He'd gone through all these schools, and it was this high-tech training. He'd go over there, and they said, hey, Lieutenant Rose at the time, Guess what? Uh, we don't have that system. So you know what you are? You're now an 11 Bravo. That's You're right. an infantry That's officer. Right. You're going out there and, uh, you know, he said, all right, the needs of the Army, you know. That's right. That's needs what of, it comes down to. Needs of the Army. It, it is, that has plagued me my, after my whole military career. I'll never forget that, too. In OCS, it's a quick, funny story. They march us in. There's a time where they say, hey, you're going to get your branch detail, right? And they gave us a wish list. You get, ten, you get to pick your 10 places you want to go. Fine. You pick your 10. I had infantry, I, I had armor, I had every combat armor you can imagine prior to this, right? So they march in this classroom, the lieutenant colonel comes up in the front of the, uh, the classroom, he's like, okay, and they give us our assignments. Who got their top three? Four people raised their hand. Who got their, you know, three to five, whatever. So they get to, t- who got their top ten? And I'm still looking around, because I'm didn't. i not raising my hand. I'm like, what is air defense artillery, right? So he goes, all right, who didn't get, everybody else raised their hand. I go, who didn't get their top ten? Five of us raised their hand. They go, what'd you get? We go, air defense artillery. He goes, too bad, needs of the Army. And he says, mm. right. he's on your feet, and he says, out of my room. That was it. That was the, the lesson I learned that day. The end. Of course, you know, that day you walked out of the room, and then there would come a time a few years later where you'd be walking out of the Army. As you said, medically retired, which to me uh, means that you probably weren't expecting it. You were looking at a career, and then they told you that wasn't to be. What do you remember about that transition period and, and you know, going into it uh, kind of as a surprise? So the, it was an interesting time for me. I was actually, at the time I was out of active duty, I was in the reserve. So I had a civilian job waiting mm. for me. Um, but it was still a surprise because I was, I was, I left that job. I had gone, of course, I was, I, was, I got deployed. It was during the surge in 06, 07. Um, and for me, it was different because you, it was, you're right. It was unsuspecting because you're thrust into the situation. I was in launch stall for three weeks. Um, I recovered. And it was actually at the time, I was in a really weird time when it came in. Um, it was right when the scandal broke at Walter Reed. So mm. it was February 2007. And what happened was after I got my surgeries and I was sitting in launch tool, they had delayed us. They go, you can't go back because of what's happening. It was all over the Washington Post yeah. story and we, we knew what happened. And then um, we land, get to Andrews and they're like, nope, you're going to the four, you're going to the four winds. You're basically the four corners of, of the world. I wound up at Eisenhower Medical Center in Fort Gordon, uh, Georgia. Hmm. No idea what I was doing there, right? So, and they were actually weren't even ready for us. If you want to talk about a crazy story that day, they picked us up in a school bus, and most of us were on stretchers or in wheelchairs, and they had no other transport. But it was literally like a yellow school bus. That's wow. how they transported us because they were because nobody was really ready for. It. That's another story. But the part was they walked in the room one day, and there was the Peblo, it was a physical evaluation board liaison officer, and she says your career's over. She goes, got the doctor's report and the story, you're, you know, you're going to leave the service. And it's a weird feeling because I saw my 20 years, whether it was going to be reserved, whether it was going to be anything else. I was also at the time considered to be on active duty. And I love what I did, right? I rem- I, you get back into it. You love it, right? Especially yeah. how bad the situation is, doesn't matter. Um, and it was a time because the transition was going to be very abrupt for me, right? I thought it would be, you know, as far as that, okay, it's over. And then they said, oh, it's going to take six weeks. You got to do your out processing, the whole thing, and you're going to be retired. And But then it's also a weird moment because you're going back after what what was actually a pretty long tour. Um, and then you you recognize, okay, well, I, 
actually, and the, and the interesting part was they didn't keep my job at my company. They actually had to find me a new job. Mm. And I had trans and I had bumped around because at first I was kind of conflicted about the whole thing. Um, but then I did wind up back at the company I had, I had left when I left um, to go back in for my, my, my deployment. So um, the time was interesting for me. But what resonated with me most was we were in, of course, the, the warrior, well, they call them warrior transition unit now, I think. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. Call them. Um, and um, there were just so many young soldiers that had probably, you know, they were, I would say, devastating wounds in a, in a sense. And that's what kind of got me on the whole transition thing later on in life about, um, you know, these people were 20, 21 years old, young, you know, some had uh, significant TBI, things like that, where I don't know what they were going to do after the fact, right? And that's the, I guess maybe whether that's the, the former NCO and me or the officer of me at the time, I'm looking at an E4 who's 20 something years old crying in the corner because she can't remember her medical appointments. Mm. Um, and what does she do for the rest of her life? Like, what does yeah. that life look like? I remember being 21 thinking, the, you know, the world's my oyster. I'm going to have the greatest time in the world. And then having to be faced with something like that, kind of again, it kind of changed my perspective on things. Yeah. Um, and then mm. coming out of it, and then looking, I, I went back into the civilian world. It actually was one of the things I immediately recognized, especially after that last deployment, was it just wasn't. I don't think it was ready for me. I felt that um, there was something else out there. I didn't have a. There was just it did. There was a different calling for me for that matter, right? Um, and basically, uh, at one point, I just you know, something that had happened at work and I kind of stood up that day and I said, you know what? I'll see you guys later. And I started what eventually would become GCO. It was, uh, it was actually something, a company called Vets GSA at first. I had stood it up in a day, you know, thank God for legal zoom and the internet back then, <laughs> you know, this was 2008. Um, and, um, it eventually became GCO, which uh, GCO came out of a merger, actually an acquisition. But, uh, yeah, I, I started that company at, and I will tell you, they talk about having business plans. They talk about all those things. I had none of that. Um, I basically was just, I knew something very well, which was a very specific type of contract field uh, and consulting. Um, and as exciting as that sounds, um, it's just something that I just, I kind of focused on. And, um, you know, I look at what happens over, God, it's been 10 years now. I can't even imagine that. But it's been what happened over the last 10 years and how much things have changed and how we grew. Um there was really no plan for it. Uh, we did eventually get into that mode where we started to plan to do a little bit better as we grew. But um, yeah, at the first time, I mean, it was it was the total. I was the antithesis of what it should have, how it should have been done. So it was an interesting piece uh, for the transition period for me. We're speaking to Scott Davidson, CEO of GCO, and of course, United States Army veteran. He's just been telling us about his career and that transition process that led you to GCO. Now let's talk about GCO because. GCO is a consulting and contracting firm, essentially. That's confusing to a lot of veterans right. out there. Although, it's also an industry that a lot of veterans, I think, could succeed and even thrive in because they're aware of many things. So tell us about what exactly GCO is and what a consulting and contracting firm does. Right. So, And, and, and that's, a, that's a great point. So GCO, we'll, we'll talk about GCO itself. We're very... Well, not anymore. We're, we, we've now we've grown into three different segments of how we are. Um, so GCO is a holding company, and then underneath we have different uh, segments. We actually have a law firm that falls underneath us that we have we built out. We have a marketing arm, and then we have the GCO consulting firm, which is which is basically the baseline that started everything. Um, we do government contracting. We do so. It's a little bit different. Um, we are. Um, support to business to business support we don't actually contract with the federal government we support businesses that do work with the federal government so um and we're very and we're very specific uh when it comes to the type of work that we do so we do very specific contract compliance we do a lot of strategic advice for companies 
Um, and we run the gambit, right? So we, we, we go from everybody from the one and two person business, even to some of the, you know, the fortune 100, uh, are rely on us for our strategic type services. So GCO kind of as a whole has grown, but our, I'll never forget where we come from, which is that consulting field, right? And especially in the GovCon world. And you said it best just now, veterans have to realize that they, when they come out of the service, you're going to have an MOS. There's a lot of things. It's amazing. You have a, a very specific skill set right now if you do law enforcement if you did military if you did like yourself journalism things like that you could consult for those things even into those type of uh, into that world where people need that because you are good at what you do don't ever i I always tell people that don't ever think that there's not an important piece there you got to develop it listen we're going to get our you're going to get your butt kicked all the time right i mean that's what's just going to happen as you grow in your independent business i mean you look at some of the greatest brands out there for that veteran owned you're wearing one of their shirts like run style look where they came from right you got dan you know these this was and these guys were you know was a drill sergeant right but they created this company and then you got you know black rifle coffee company same thing you just don't know where that where you can lie now they're not consulting companies but i know people who were mps that come and do incredible consulting work especially and and even with the federal government um with physical security anti-terrorism work things like that and that's just i'm not even stereotyping somebody we know people who do your type of work where you talk with paos I know PAOs that do great consulting work. Actually, one of the PAOs I know do consulting work for um, for even the White House at this point, right? Mm-hmm. They do all, for all different types of agencies. They do the creative. They do all different types of things. All those different things. It's really it's something that you could do, and it's, and, and the startup is not that because you're. It's usually just going to be you, right? I mean, everything could be done pretty quickly nowadays. Website could be set up. Corporate documents could be done pretty quickly. But it's just something to think about in the consulting world. Um, you can find your niche pretty quickly, and it's amazing that. First off, the government buys everything. That's the first thing I'll tell you. So it's amazing <laughs> what they will buy, but there there isn't something when people say, "Oh, I was eleven Bravo, I was an infantry guy, I was you know you know uh, you know oh three hundred series, whatever." It doesn't matter. You have a skill that they'll buy in that three hundred series. You learned how to do security, the things like that that you could absolutely develop and work. Um, uh, like I said, journalism, even culinary arts, all those things government buys, or you can, you know, while you're doing your, your regular day, you could start to build what, what they would, what do they call it now? Side hustle and kind of, kind of yeah. build that out and grow on it. So from consulting, I mean, we grew from a one person shop to where we are now, where we have, you know, we have a, a sports marketing brand that we have integrated with, uh, well, now it's the local DC teams. Like of course the Stanley cup champions. I, I like to call that out right now, the Washington <laughs> capitals, um, uh, along with other, uh, teams that we work with, like the Washington Redskins, um, the wizards, uh, and you know, to what we do, like I said, from the fortune 500, on um, the GCO side, and it's even with the legal practice. So, um, it's a, it's interesting where you can start and finish. And I didn't, study government contracting in when I was in the military, I was an air defense guy who did counter IED work. Right. Yeah. I mean, none of that had anything to do where I, what I fell into. I just happened to learn, um, and have the, uh, you know, the benefit of, of, of individuals kind of showing me the way and just kind of picking up books and learning the best I could and looking at, you know, I, I saw there was a gap in the market at the time and I just kind of took advantage of it. Of course, your company is involved in many things, and you just mentioning the sports thing. I want to talk about that specifically and about how you now have a, uh, a marketing program essentially for small businesses, and there are many veteran small business owners out there. Uh, many of them hope to one day be large business owners in the model of like a Dan Alaric at Grunt Style. Right. 
Grunt style wasn't always, you know, having right. a skybox in San Antonio and 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 you know doing all the crazy stuff they are now. Started off with Dan living out of his car and That's living right. off of peanut butter and jelly. He he told us that in an interview last year, the first interview we ever did with him. He talked about how he went from nothing to where he is now, and it took a lot of hard work. But he believes that being a veteran prepared him for that hard work because, as we all know, you got to embrace the suck sometimes to get to the good. You know what I mean? That's right. That's what's going to happen. The, tell me about this marketing program, the Small Business Co-op, which is involved with teams like the Washington Capitals, Washington Wizards, the Mystics. You've got monumental sports and entertainment. Where did this come from, and how do you think that can be a benefit to those veteran small business owners? So we do. So that's the one thing. So we definitely one of the our first launch that we're doing with the Small Business Co-op actually is going to be the Veteran Business Co-op, right? Um, and what we saw was a void in the market, right? So well, working with the SBA, working, uh, I'm sorry, the Small Business Administration. And working with a lot of different business owners, we recognize that hey, what is one of the biggest uh, you know what, what are one of the biggest gaps you have? What where where's your failures? Right, the internet's changed the world of business nowadays. Right, the social media, the phone, everything else. And in in the matter of used to be the biggest issue with access to capital. Now you got great firms out there, street shares, people like that, that they come and they fill those gaps, and it is no longer considered the number one issue. One of the biggest issues that came out in recent reports was marketing, right? Oh, yeah. Things that people do very well, of course, in the, in the world of social media, everything else. Grunt style is great marketing. You know, Black Rifle Coffee, all those guys, they do great, they do great marketing. But what if you don't have those assets? Or what if we, and we said, what happens if we can go to what's the best in class? Sports, right? We just happened to get lucky in a million years that I think that we were going to win the Stanley Cup this year. No, <laughs> listen, I, would be, I, I grew up in New York too. So, I mean, for me, I'm like, okay, every year's our year until it's not our year. But, in, you know, in, in a 44-year run, I didn't think this is the year that we were going to be so, get so lucky. Um, but what we recognized was uh, the importance of how many people see those brands, how important it is as far as it resonates with the, uh, you know, just the civilian population in general. And especially with, with veteran businesses and GovCon in general, we're in the hub of it, right? We're in the beltway. So we thought, let's talk to the guys at Monumental and let's say, what could we do to make it easier for veterans, small businesses to get into that market? And we put it in, in, in a, what was a long process, but we wound up putting in a very affordable package together for veteran small businesses to get, you know, basically the jumbotron to get and get photographic imaging of it, right? Because they'll get high res photos, goes to their phone, they get Instagram shout outs, Facebook, the whole nine yards. They get um, the the coolest part I love is the out of home. So out of home, if people don't know what out of home is, that's the big screens outside of the Capital One Arena. They'll get their logo splashed on that 15 seconds several times a day as people walk by. The F Street uh, entrance, they own all the collateral, um, all the marketing there. You'll see your logo as you come up. All those things uh, in Sweet Entertainment, the LED rings, which are awesome that they'll see that. All those things come out there along with, of course, Veteran Partner of the Week, things like that. These are included in packages that we said, the idea is that it's got to be very affordable and it's got to be beneficial to veteran small businesses. We got to see them grow. So whatever you want to get in front of a market that's in, that's tremendous, this is how it works. So we, they work together. They gave us the assets and individuals were able to get it to such a low price point. Um, and it is limited. We will say that. So there is it, markets change though, because we are now in different markets as well. This is the first launch because they were the best, not the best, but they were the one to give us a shot. So monumental goes first. So that's the capitals and everybody else. But with the Redskins um, and other teams that are coming out, like the Mets, the Yankees, I, mean, I was going to tell you, I was going to. I don't want to hear about the Yankees. Yeah, you can tell me all about, about the, the Mets. I'll but be I will fine. Tell the, but but <laughs> as, as smart as the Mets were, the Mets actually contacted us first 
when they saw what we were doing with Monumental, they, they did something us. smart. I find they, that hard to believe as a fan of the organization. Because they generate <laughs> revenue. They knew better, right? Um, but no, that, that's where that, that, came, that comes out of. So, so GCO Marketing was born out of the fact that we had so many small businesses coming back to us, especially veteran businesses, saying, hey, um, we have issues here, right? We, we, have a, you know, we have a brand issue. We have a messaging issue. And they work with other companies. Listen, there's great companies out there. Lifeflip Media is another one. You know, they look at people like that and they do that. But we said, what, do we, what can we do to give them best in class and combine it with everybody else while they find their identity and they start to grow? And that's really where that came out of. We're speaking with Scott Davidson. He is the CEO of GCO Marketing Group. We're doing some pretty amazing things out there. Now, you're a consultant. That's part of what you do. So let's give a little bit of uh, free services to the veterans out there who are listening. Small business owners, someone out there who's wondering, how do I market my company? Because it's it's hard to figure out. You know, Do you pay to get put into like the, the local circular that goes around and everybody gets in the mail? How many people are actually reading it? How many people throw it out like I do as soon as you see it? You know, What should people be looking for when they're trying to market their, their brand that they're trying to build, whether that's themselves, a company, or something like that? And if someone's interested in being on the other side of it, of getting involved in the world of marketing, because as we all know, I mean, they made TV shows, Mad Men. Look at that. That's right. all about marketing. Right. It's, a, it's an industry that's going to be around for the foreseeable future, right? Exactly. So what should those who are looking to market themselves be looking to try to do at a beginning level? And then those who want to get into your industry, how should they go about that? So, I mean, the marketing side, what I, you know, what's changed so much, and, and you see it, is that um, the phone, of course, I mean, the internet has changed everything. Oh, Instagram, you got a supercomputer in your pocket. Yeah, it's this, if you can't advertise on this, I mean, it's all about content creation, right? So it comes down to if it's unique content. I mean, don't listen, there's some people out there who have made a success on regurgitating other people's content, right? And they're just an aggregator. And we see that, right? So, I mean, that's fine, but that's not going to make your product special. It's not going to make your product that's everything the little bit of time it takes to do something creative. And you could do it nowadays. I mean, it really doesn't cost that money. You can get a used DLSR camera. You can use this one if you want. Just get a good stand, a little bit of software editing photo, you know, uh, and you can even edit on your phone and get the app. Take the time to create unique content. And if it depends on what you're selling, right? Even if you're selling a service, let's say product is a lot easier, right? You take a picture of the product, yeah. you can put that out there. And that's, that's if you're selling a product, that's not that I'm not, I will never say anything's easy, but I'm sorry, as far as levels of marketing, it's going to be easier to do because you get brand identity very quickly and you can see that. And once you have your brand identity, then you can market. If you're doing a service, you're selling yourself, you got to be in front of that camera. Mm -hmm. You got to show yourself. They got to see a face behind it. One of, you know, if, if some of the people we work with all the time will have great social media presence, the most important thing they always tell me was, if they don't have a face with that brand, they don't know who you are and they don't care. And it's true. So tell that personal story as much as as it is, get on there. And that's the other thing is it's about repetition. You have to be on there every day and take your little bit of time and look at that and say, do your Instagram stories. Let them know you're out there. And you don't have to be going to the Oscars and things like that. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes are people, yeah, it's great to have, you know, take a picture with a celebrity, things like that. Yeah, it does help and it drives traffic, but I see some some of the greatest influencers out there now, especially on Instagram. They're just going out there. I mean, I, I love Tank Machine from Black Rifle Coffee Company. It's just him going out there talking to people, yeah. being actually real. Things like that are what you want to, what I think sells the most, and it resonates more with um, the local population or the general population, for that matter, than if you're getting, a, you know, oh, I got a great picture with you know somebody from a, a sports star. Yeah, that's great, and 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 mix those in there, but make sure that you're definitely working yourself in as a personality with your brand, and I think that's what's going to make the difference in the selling. We've been speaking with Scott Davidson, the CEO of GCO Marketing Group. He's also a retired Army captain. 
mean, you know, Navy recruiting offices are closed some days. He didn't have any other choice. He, got, he went into that Army one and got, got tricked. All right, so I got to – just because you said that, I'm going to tell you the very actual quickly. story. This is very quick, I know. I actually didn't know any better. I went down. That's where the strip malls were, right? Yeah, right. And, I, and they were Navy, Army, you know, the whole nine yards. They were individual offices. I literally went down at lunchtime. I went to pull the first door. I didn't know who I was going to join. <laughs> and it was the Navy. It was locked. See, I told you. The Navy recruiting offices closed some days. That's how we end up with people in the Army. I went to the second one, <laughs> pulled it. It was the Marines. It was locked. It oh, had the thing. They, yeah. There was Staff Sergeant Toronto. I know where you live. Where I will. <laughs> he was smoking a cigarette on the end building. He looks at me, and he's in his class B's, and he's like, hey, what you looking for? And I go, I don't know. He goes, you're looking for us. And that was it. <laughs> I didn't know any better. I wanted to go. And I just walked right down to the end thing. He was the only guy standing outside. He walked me in. And that was it. I like that as a slogan for the Army. Forget Army of One and all that other nonsense. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're looking for us. <laughs> a thousand percent. It worked. <laughs> Scott, we want to make sure people have the right information so they can open the right doors. And if they want to find out more about GCL Marketing Group, all the stuff that you and your team are doing, where do they go to find that stuff out? So you could go to, uh, there's a couple different websites, but our main site is govconops.com and that would link you to all the services and all through our holding company um gcomarketing.com brings you right into where the uh the uh the sports member the uh, sports marketing piece will be but our main site is govconops.com so that's where you can get all the things and they link to everything that we do as far as our services that we offer and if people have questions for you know your fellow vets out there like this guy seems to have his stuff together you know for an army guy can they contact you? Is there a way that people can reach you and then uh, get in touch over those things? Absolutely. I think one of the best ways to do, uh, go to, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, go to our Instagram page, send us a message, um, or uh, it, that's probably the best way. We have someone that monitors that all the time. And we'll make sure we get those messages out there and we'll be happy to answer any question that comes up. Scott Davidson of GCO, the CEO and Army veteran. Thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the time. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everything.